remember when we went to go see Bear and the two guys were making out in the background and we were all talking about it and you went, no, I don't remember that. I was paying attention to the woman singing the song. <laughs> Gay. Was that like, was the oh. moment when they all knew, hey? That might have been the moment when she knew. Um <laughs> <laughs> In five seconds, we will begin our descent to this week's episode of You Made Me Queer. Please make sure your tray tables and seat backs are in their upright position. And collectively, as a plane, let's count down. Five, four, three, and then I just do the hands for two and one. Hi, I'm Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people hold a seashell up to their ear and hear the gentle ebb and flow of Ricky Martin breathing. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. First of all, a huge thank you from this past weekend to every sweet peach at Toronto Comic-Con. I had such a fantastic time uh, with my live episode with Dan Parent, Archie Comics writer, illustrator, etc., who created the first openly gay character in Archie Comics, Kevin Keller. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to the Sonar Network for running a great booth. They had some branded gum which I was excited about. Uh, was there a lot of cosplay? Yes. The answer is yes. Did I see multiple drag Sailor Moons? Again, hard yes. Uh, did I see a partially deflated Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man? Yeah. And you know what? That's fine because uh, age comes for all of us, whether or not we are ectoplasmic. But I had a great time. As I said before, I also got to MC the 30th anniversary reunion panel for the voice actors from Sailor Moon, which I'll tell you what, that was a trip. They were so lovely, and to hear those voices come out of their pie holes, human pie holes, was weird and great. And I will say that Comic-Con attendees are a special, spectacular breed, and uh, they honestly put me to shame. I'd made a little uh, Sailor Moon headband, and I looked cheap in comparison to everyone else. But that's my brand. <laughs> so why stop for Comic-Con? Also, I just want to say one more time again, which I alluded to quickly before, but breezed past to get onto other matters. You Made Me Queer did recently turn one year old, which is such a testament to all of us to get through this, me to continue making, hosting, and producing this podcast, you to continue listening to it and taking in the the shrill peaks and valleys, also known as the voice that comes out of my mouth, which I'm not apologizing for. I'm just saying uh, that's a ride. You've been on a ride, and I'm grateful. And on that note, let's move on to a very special episode 
with someone with a very special head of hair, if I might say. My guest today is Alex Markman. Alex Markman, you might not know the face, and that is because Alex Markman is a superstar from behind the scenes. Yes, that's right. Not all of us are so hungry for the microphone and the limelight. Some people uh, can handle (laughs) being, uh, you know, 20 feet from stardom instead of uh, two feet away, climbing over the craft services table, desperately trying to get on your Instagram story. And I'm not talking about myself necessarily, but I might be. Let's learn more about Alex from her bio. There's a fine line between horror and comedy and dash, and that's exactly where Alex Markman feels most at home. From the titular monster hunters of Astrid and Lily Save the World, you've got to watch this show. We're going to talk about it, but it uh, is just finishing its first season, and boy, oh boy, okay, back to the bio, I interrupted at a weird part. To the legendary superheroes of Gotham Knights, Alex loves to take an audience on fantastic adventures full of snappy dialogue and compelling twists. I'll say you're going to get a taste of that snappy dialogue in this interview. Alex writes for both TV and video games, as well as Canada's number one source of new satire, The Beaverton. If you are listening from outside of Canada, it's basically like a McSweeney's sort of thing, The Onion, etc., but all CanCon. I had such a nice time talking with Alex. We get some Mervish Young Street Toronto Theatre deep cuts. We may have been sitting in the same audience for certain performances, and we talk about regional towns and the GTA, and so much more. We go to Florida. There's a lot of movement. I hope you brought your passport, your sunscreen, and a barely there bathing suit. And that's all I'm going to say. So please enjoy my conversation with the one, the only, Alex Markman. Hi, Alex. Hi, Trevor. <laughs> At first, I thought you had a Queen's University poster, but that is, in fact, Queen, the band. No, uh, very, very different. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to Queen's for all of one week. Um, <gasps> what happened? But, oh, no, I <laughs> that makes it sound terrible. So Queen's <laughs> has a program or they did have a program i'm actually not sure if it's still running called um at the time it was called e equals mc squared everyone just called it nerd camp i mean <laughs> it's um a program for you know uh, uh gifted students and um I guess, high achieving students, essentially the kind of kids that they want to apply to Queens in a few years when they're applying to post-secondary. Gotcha. Kids who are not going to so many house parties. Exactly. Yes. That is a very good way of describing me in high school. Yes. Same. So we, uh, they invite you to come to Queens campus for a week and you take a course of your choosing. Oh, cool. um, And uh, stay on their campus for a week and learn some cool stuff. So I did that. What course did you take? Theater. Because once again, I am a very cool person. (laughs) (laughs) But it all paid off. So you were like, thanks for the freebie queens. Bye. And then went elsewhere. Yes. um, I I think I did apply to queens as backup school. um, But... uh, (laughs) Did, Queens did and men are big going. listeners of the show, so you're in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did not end up going uh, to Queens for post-secondary, no. But Nerd Camp was very fun, and if the <sighs> program still runs, because I, I don't know what 
is still going on in the world after two years of the pan Danny DeVito. Honestly. Um, honestly. Uh, if it still exists, would highly recommend. It was very fun. Hey, great. Do it. When I, I would have loved something like that. I was a nerdy kid uh, and I went to, there was one March break where there was a computer camp I went to, which was... I thought I wanted to learn to program video games or something like that. And instead, we kind of just dicked around in MS Paint for a while, which, you know, Oakville Parks and Rec. Uh, the, <laughs> the bar is at a certain place and that's the rest is on you. So um, but anyway, I'm glad to know some nerdy programs pan out. And then, of course, you went on uh, you you say, I mean, you're theater adjacent, but you're off the stage. Yes. Um, although I I can say my uh, I'm very fortunate that my my second episode of Astrid and Lily actually features the school play. Oh, yeah. And um, we're going to get to that. So uh, was that <laughs> you're doing you were able to jam that in? No. So, the, I mean, the school play was built into the DNA of the show from the very beginning. Betsy and Noel knew they wanted there to be a school play that it was going to be tied to several characters arcs. Um, for the entire season and that we we knew that it would come about not in the last episode but you know one of the final episodes of the season so that you know we could have all the fun of auditions and rehearsals and we could really build to it um I just happened to be the lucky writer who was assigned (laughs) the episode with the school play and I have to tell you as a grown-up theater kid um it it was truly such a treat and a privilege to get to write the school play episode. Um, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I get that because, you know, as I ended up studying music theater uh, in post-secondary and definitely auditioned for my share of school plays in high school. And at the time, it literally feels like the most important event in the world, like Mm -hmm. leading up to auditions. It's all everywhere you go elsewhere outside of school you just assume everyone else is thinking about the school play as well 100 percent, yes also Um, fun fact before you get in there i also not uh related to a school but in a i grew up in between the u.s and canada and in ohio where i was living they every year they did this big easter spectacular play called hosanna which was sort of like the the death and resurrection of Jesus. I played Lazarus one year, not the flex, but um, but it, that was also so like plays were such a huge part of my life. Everyone I knew was like somehow related to those things. So uh, and and Hosanna does not hold up, by the way, for a majority of reasons. But or, anyway, <laughs> uh, back to you. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. You know, when you're involved in a production, but especially at that at that age, it just feels like the center of the universe. Um, And I I remember this was actually about a different, even less cool club that I was involved in in (laughs) high school. But I remember a friend of mine who was a couple years older who had been in um, the same club uh, said she had gone off to university and she'd come back I I think for reading week or something we were having coffee and she said to me I need you to know that when you get to university you're gonna realize just the world is so much bigger than this (laughs) you know the 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 world doesn't actually revolve around this your world is just gonna get so much bigger Um, and I was like okay sure but right now it feels like the end of the world and I need you to support me Um, a hundred percent so I, think I completely is, agree. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you do. And I think that's our our segue right there. So we're thinking about 
tunnel vision, how you put on these blinders and think the world is one thing. And then suddenly the blinders come off or you slightly turn your head and you realize it's something else and you've been lied to all along. So, you know, of course, Alex growing up, uh, you know, in the, the bubble of the school play, we were able to indulge in fantasy of what we thought was happening. But actually, unbeknownst to us, the forces around us were making us queer maybe it was the part you were assigned in the play the the fit and length of the costume um you know when we were children we didn't know the effect that this had but now as adults uh, with microphones and arrival posters <laughs> we know the effect of such things so that's why i've called you here today alex i want to give you the chance once and for all as a young urban professional to point the finger of blame at who and or what alex markman made you queer Oh, man. Well, musical theater definitely made me queer. I, I'm i sure that no one has ever made that accusation before. <laughs> yeah, what's the connection there? Um, but in the most profoundly nerdy ways, you know, the, the, these are not going to be fun answers. And everyone's going to be like, why did you invite, invite this person on the podcast? Um, Please. I There's two moments that come to mind for me. One was... When I first went to see Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, uh, there's a bit of a theme here of me paying attention to the wrong things in musicals. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> so I went to see Phantom. I think by the time I saw Phantom, I I knew that I was queer. Um, mm -hmm. And How old you know, have you been? 15, 16. Okay. I, oh. I realized when I was 15, and I think I went to see Phantom either just before or just after. Um, and, you know, it was a big deal. I went I went into Toronto with a friend for the day. Uh, you know, no chaperone. We were going to... Um, which... Did you train in? Like, where were you from? Um, I'm from Barrie originally. Great town. Um, I, th I think... Well, I wouldn't put it that way. Oh, well, they've, they've, they've had a nice logo, uh, like a, a new logo deployed that I think Barry's really stepped into the graphic design of the 21st century. Yeah. And I, I will say Barry's a gr actually a great place to grow up as a theater kid. There, there are a lot of community theater groups. A number of the local high schools have good arts programs. It, it is actually a pretty good place to grow up as a theater kid. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, it wasn't the greatest place to grow up as a queer kid. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I am hoping that that has changed. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, graphic design's a great start. So you hopped on that bus and you went down or train or whatever. You came to, to Toronto with your friend. Yes. And and we're watching Phantom and, you know, spoiler alert for a 40 year old musical. Um, <laughs> it's the very end of the show and the Phantom, you know, has bid Christine goodbye. He he covers himself with the cloak um, and Meg Giri, Christine's friend, comes on stage and she removes the cloak. But fan the Phantom is gone and it's just his mask. And everyone's like, goodness, oh, my goodness. <gasps> everyone's focused on the mask and the spectacle, and I was just staring at the very pretty woman in breeches. Yes. And I remember that was a bit of an awakening. Now, <laughs> for the lay person, Alex, what's a breech? What are breeches? Are they, is this like a bustier? Uh, it's short pants. Oh, so oh okay. <laughs> the kind of thing, you know, um, 
God, I'm gonna. My friends who work in costumes are gonna be so mad at me because I'm not gonna explain this well. You're getting canceled. Give it a try. Like short <laughs> pants and then um, either knee high stockings or possibly boots. Yeah. Um, so breeches rolls in opera are when uh, a woman would cross dress. Okay. Playing a male character um, is my very rudimentary understanding of it. So she comes on stage essentially in era appropriate menswear okay so there was sort of like a theatrical gender transgression that was yes. sort of like what's happening here yes and i i remember you know everyone is just blown away by the ending how how did he manage to to get off stage even though he was just sitting in the chair and i just could not take my eyes off this woman <laughs> which is absolutely not what you are supposed to be paying attention to not the during point the of finale the yeah of phantom of the opera and i was like oh okay so I've learned some things about myself today. Such a deep cut. Also, but I do want to support, like, for me, you can truly take or leave Christine. I know she gets all the great songs, but, like, so boring. Yeah, and I think, you know, she's very much... How can I put this? You don't have to be nice to her. She's <laughs> A, she's fictional. <laughs> um, it, She's just, you know, it's like the opposite of main character syndrome. You know, when someone is... You know, very much not the main character, but believes themselves to be the main character <laughs> yes. in the story. She is the main character, but in no way acts like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it's not uh, called Christine on a Boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one wants to go see that show. Exactly. Um, so, but as you said, she gets all the great songs. Uh, um, I guess. But yeah, she's very much um, not really moving the needle dramatically in that <laughs> yeah. in that story whatsoever. Um, yeah, to say the least. What about your girl? Was her name Meg? Did you say Meg Giri? Yeah. Meg Giri. Did she get to sing it all? I actually don't remember. I think okay. Meg. I think she has a dance solo at some point i truly okay. don't remember it's been That's a very okay. long time since i saw this show yeah yeah um, me too i remember it and it was i remember the gift shop had a ton of weird shit with pianos and the mask and roses and that i was underwhelmed and i love some theater drama but as a child i was underwhelmed by that chandelier drop i know i get it yeah. um i will say i find it deeply hilarious that the mask that is all over the the promotional materials for phantom of the opera mm -hmm. is not the mask he wears in the show <laughs> it is the it, you know it covers it's a i mean I mean, there's probably a proper term for it but i don't know it, it covers half his face like the mm -hmm. mask that's all over the promotional materials it covers the eyes almost kind of like a superhero mask but the one he wears in the show... It's like vertically half of his face, right? Yeah, it vertically covers his face rather than horizontally. So I guess... I used to know more about this. The the theater kid inside me is screaming. But I guess originally it was supposed to be the mask that's all over the promotional materials. But then they changed the makeup so that oh. it was more of a... Um, oh, I just hit my mic. Uh, a half face. <laughs> this deformity. episode's trash. We're done. <laughs> yes, I see. Um, and was it because they wanted to show one of, was it Calm Wilkinson's dreamy eyes? Definitely. Or were the eyes still covered? Definitely. Yeah. Again, part of their, you know, um, 
determination to turn a generation of theater kids queer because the theater wasn't going to do that in and of itself. Um, I know. But it's just hilarious to me. So I guess, you know, by now they had printed all the promotional materials and now this mask was just associated with the image of Phantom of the Opera. But in almost 40 years, they have never changed it. Isn't that yeah. so weird? Um, it would, Yeah, it's so... And I guess they're still doing that show and raking in money. Also, interesting because I feel like the show is problematic probably in a lot of ways but specifically boil it down to like old men in a mask saying to someone much younger come meet me in the basement yeah just seems like the wrong premise for 2022 yeah and you know threatening to blackmail her career is yeah. a whole element of it you know i feel like there's a uh... There are some questions that are fair to ask about Phantom of the Opera. Maybe season two of Astrid and Lily, because I mean, it's always got to be show within a show, is they're doing Phantom of the Opera, uh, but you just queer it and make it great and add some freaky demons in. I would love a queer Phantom of the Opera and our mask would be accurate. <laughs> Listen, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big fix. Uh, okay, so we so you had that you had that moment in the theater when you were like, "I do like Mia Breach," and yeah. then well, did you a, confide a woman this in to menswear specifically? Okay, um, okay, was um, not something I could ignore. Let's put it that way. Were, was that your style at the time? Or did you dress sort of tomboyish, whatever that term means? Yeah, um, I know that term is, uh, I guess, kind of out of vogue now because yeah. what does it mean? Um, but yeah, very much growing up in the 90s and early 2000s when that was the way we would describe it, I was very much a tomboy. Um, you know, I, I I don't think I even owned a dress. I, <laughs> I still don't have my ears pierced as an adult. Um, wow, that's quite an I, escape. I almost had mine pierced when I worked as a merchandiser at Shoppers Drug Mart. I, you know, I keep thinking about doing it, but with COVID and stuff, I, I haven't been super inclined to go out somewhere and have someone drill a hole in my body. It's, um, maybe one day, because at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to it. And there's some designs I would, I would love. But yeah, I, as a kid, it was just I sort of outwardly rejected a yeah. lot of um, stereotypically feminine things. I didn't grow up playing with dolls. I. Um, yeah, I I have always had long hair, which I mm -hmm. guess, you know, people have always had difficulty reconciling how I could have such <laughs> quote unquote right. feminine hair, but nothing else <laughs> about my style is um so-called feminine. But amazing. Very much so. Yeah, that was that was a bit of an awakening. The audience of Phantom. Yes. Yeah, so, so you saw that character in the show and you were like, oh, this is someone for some reason, I mean, just from a visual perspective has something in common with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very much so. Um, I mean, also Meg Giri is also kind of the second banana in that show. You know, Christine, She, I think she and Christine are both chorus girls and then something happens to the actual star of the opera and they, they put Christine in the starring role. Yeah, like a Marvel Meg showgirls moment. Exactly. Whereas Meg is, you know, forever relegated to the ensemble, which is very much my experience as a theater kid. Growing well, was up. that also your dynamic with the friend you came with? Was she more of a Christine? You know, that is probably an accurate way of putting it. But I, she does not have boring main character syndrome. <laughs> okay, she was. Um, she's a good one. <laughs> yeah, she, she's lovely. Um, but was also a, a gorgeous. Um, soprano singer so that's actually not a bad comparison okay there you go so okay so interesting so you had that moment and then 
that was that an aha moment for you like going back on the bus that day where you like something's changed yeah it wasn't so much that something had changed as it was just no longer something i could ignore okay um you know i i always like to say when i when i discuss that sort of um self coming out the, the process of coming out to yourself which i do think is um super important and not oh, necessarily yeah. something we always talk about in depth um that i always knew but i didn't know i knew mm -hmm. if that makes sense you know all the signs were there but i didn't you know growing up in um you know the midst of a very compet society um although i came from a very progressive and very accepting family oh, I, uh, those feelings were always there but i didn't really clock that that's what they were yeah so you're making choices sort of in response to the those thoughts or those urges you buying tickets to phantom etc but you're not consciously putting a name on what that might mean exactly mm -hmm. um until i had kind of an awakening when i was 15 and i was like <laughs> oh everything makes sense <laughs> totally. um Take me to the sewers. So then where <laughs> where did you go from there? What happened next? Um, so I told you there were two musical theater moments. Yes. Um, the other one I actually did not quite clock, um, but a friend pointed it out to me years later, and I just find it hilarious. Um, so this would have been, again, after I had come out to myself, but I was not out to... the larger world yet. I was still mm -hmm. figuring things out. Um, and a group of us different group of friends went to go see bear a pop opera i don't know this this is one of the queerest shows of all time it's a <laughs> sung through musical although i think they have since done an adaptation that's a bit more of a book musical mm -hmm. um and it's about two it came out in the early 2000s i believe and it's about two um young men at a catholic boarding school who are in a closeted relationship wow um and you know uh coming up against all the prejudices that come with that especially within their boarding school and there's also a musical version of a midsummer night's dream within the show okay um that reminds me what was that 90s movie with um uh this is gonna cisco was in it Didn't they do Midsummer Night's Dream and Ben, what's his face? And then a blonde girl. Oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Anyway, I'll get back to you. I can't I'll remember. I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, it's okay. There's also, okay, there's another really queer movie with musical Midsummer Night's Dream. I guess this is a bit of a pattern um, called Were the World Mine, um, which is another independent musical. Um God, I haven't seen it in years. Maybe it's just Midsummer Night's Dream is inherently queer, which is hilarious because they're all allegedly straight couples. But, you know. True. Um, it makes sense. So first of all, I Googled that the movie is called Get Over It uh, from 2001 right. and also features Kirsten Dunst, uh, North America's sweetheart and a young Colin Hanks. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. Amazing. But yeah, that's I mean, Midsummer Night's Dream is like it's like the hall pass of experiment sexual experimentation where it's like yes we know you can't do all these things but just go into the woods which is very cruisy yeah and queer um and then you know don't ask don't tell and maybe there's an animal involved at one point <laughs> i don't know i think i'm losing the metaphor but um yeah i anyway i see what you're saying 
So, so so back to Bear. <laughs> yeah, so we went to go see Bear. That's B-A-R-E, if anyone's wondering. Um, oh, okay. And there, there was an independent production of it in Toronto years ago. And I remember, so every theater kid, and especially every queer theater kid, was obsessed <laughs> with this musical in the early 2000s. It was, you know, but you couldn't see it anywhere because it was very it was independent so it's not like it was touring so you had to you know get the soundtrack ripped on a cd from your other friends it was there was this whole little movement of theater kids who were obsessed with it but there was an independent production of it in toronto Mm. we were all really excited that we would finally see it on stage anyway we go to see it and at one point the the main female character um sort of the popular girl, I guess. She comes on stage and sings a song, you know, about how no one really knows her and how she has to put out a a certain image to the world, etc. And it was really well done. And afterward, you know, as we're all heading home, we're talking about the show. um, And my one friend says to me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and the two guys were making out in the background of that whole number. And I went, what? Oh, and you never clocked it. And she went, yeah, like the two main characters, Peter and Jason, were in the background of that number just going at it the entire time. And I went, what? I have no recollection of this. They were like, were you there? Were you watching the scene? I was like, yes, I was watching the woman on stage singing her song. That's right. And years later, the four of us who went to go see that show were all still friends because um, this would have been, I guess, when we high school years later the four of mm-hmm. us got together um in toronto and we're um i think we were having dinner and my uh, the one friend who said that to me who is um my best friend actually she says do you remember when we went to go see bear and the two guys were making out in the background and we were all talking about it and you went no i don't remember that i was paying attention to the woman singing the song <laughs> gay and i was like oh that was the moment when they all knew hey that might have been the moment when she knew um yeah. you know I, I i i don't usually like when people say things like oh i knew you were queer all along yeah um yeah. but there are a couple people who i will allow those kinds of comments from because i know that they're meant in good friend, uh, <laughs> good fun, and I uh-huh. certainly my best friend is one of them. Um, so I guess that was the moment that she knew once again in the world of music theater. <laughs> you made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. And now back to more. You made me queer. You made me queer. And so at that point, you knew, like we're talking about when you don't know that you know or whatever. But at that point, you mm-hmm. knew that you knew, um, but you hadn't talk to anyone about it not really um i think at that point i had come out to my older brother oh um you know i i had a moment so i realized when i was 15 um and did not tell anybody um and at the time i i came out to myself as bisexual initially and you know that's not the term that i use for myself anymore now i prefer Mm -hmm. the term queer um Mm -hmm. not to say that bisexuality is not a valid identity because there are certainly people out there who would try to have you believe that and that is not okay (laughs) take your biphobia elsewhere yeah it's Um, not a transitionary space not at all Um, it was just Mm. the first word that seemed to fit what I was feeling. And over time, I I found a a label that felt more comfortable for me. Sure. Anyway, but all that to say, I sort of came out to myself 
and I didn't tell anybody. And it did not even occur to me for months and months and months that I even could tell somebody. Oh. I believed as soon as I knew this about myself that it had to be a secret, that this was not something I could share because that was the story, that was the narrative that had been pushed on me my entire life, even coming from such a progressive and accepting family. The story that I had seen in movies, in books, in TV shows, and just society at large was that queerness was something to be kept to yourself, if at all. Totally. It's like either sort of your tragic flaw or um, just the subtext of you, but certainly not something that's ever addressed directly. Exactly. So um, it took me a really long time to unlearn that and to become comfortable with the idea of sharing this part of myself with other people, because, you know, while it's not the the whole of me, it is certainly a big part of me and part of who I Mm -hmm. am and how I love. And um, yeah, so... That's a bit of a downer, but I guess it has a No, that's great. And it's, it's really interesting too that your stories, especially the second one, which it sounds like it was a really heartfelt, not at all sexualized moment for this female character. Not at all. And then on the other hand, there was something pretty queer sexual going on in the background, but still that realization moment for you was very, very pure. It wasn't even a realization moment for me. I think it was more for the oh, friends. Oh, it's true. I it was just kind with. of outed you accidentally. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good uh, point. Because I was like, "Why were you paying attention to the? <laughs> you know, they're all straight, and they're like, oh, look, boys kissing in the background.'" And I was like, "What? I was looking at the woman in the foreground singing her song, and I mean, yeah, I guess she was pretty, but that's <laughs> that's definitely not what I was paying attention to." Um, I know. It's just I rem- hilarious to me. A hundred percent. I remember that. And and I would accidentally outing myself a few times growing up when just talking about something casually like that and your contribution, the thing you notice or you want to speak about, suddenly everyone's like, what? And then you realize, oh, no, no one else was thinking about that thing at all. What about that appeal to me and why no one else? Like, I remember, and I've talked about this on the show before, watching the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with my brother as a very small child, but maybe it holds up. It's Kevin Costner, <laughs> Christian Slater. Um, I apparently only remember the male identifying characters. Uh, and Christian Slater at one point is in a pile of leaves with his shirt kind of pulled open. And I remember talking to my brother about that after the movie, like, yeah, remember that scene? And he was like, from the, the whole action movie that's the scene you want to talk about and then you realize like oh i need to i need to police myself just a little bit just a little bit um Mm -hmm. because yeah that is what you know especially at that time that was the narrative that was enforced right it is something to keep to yourself um which is something that i try very hard to dismantle in my own writing um is to have characters who are proud to be who they are um because go ahead yeah well i was just gonna say because that was that was what i needed when i was growing up that was what i needed to see um and i didn't have a lot of that um so Mm -hmm. i i very much try to tell those types of stories now yeah which is i think really interesting because there's a you know a lot of queer people do go into the arts and there's a stereotype that that's just what queer people do but one of my theories is the way like you and i have just said we are raised having to 
basically like mine everything for B characters and like background background stories and weird uh, visual signals and like we decode everything so carefully that then we're able to construct it later, you know, through script writing or radio or whatever we do. We just sort of, we have a meta approach to life. Very much so. Very much so. And I mean, the arts are rooted in expression, right? That's what Mm -hmm. art ultimately is, is a form of expression. And we got a lot to express. (laughs) It's true. You didn't let me express it for decades. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So was that a conscious goal of yours then, you know, unless there's anything else you want to blame, because please do, but a conscious goal then to queer entertainment because entertainment was so such a uh, important force for you? I wouldn't say it was a conscious um, decision necessarily. I I distinctly remember um, uh, I uh, was struggling with um, a really bad illness for a mm. time in my early 20s. And at first I would just watch, um, you know, any stupid comedy that I could kind of uh, lose myself in because I just could not um, fathom anything else. But over time, I found myself really drawn towards the stories that I had loved the most growing up. So I wanted to rewatch Buffy. I wanted to rewatch Harry Potter. I wanted to rewatch Lord of the Rings. And especially, you know, a lot of my favorite Buffy episodes and my favorite Harry Potter film is The Chamber of Secrets. All of those have notable medical scenes. Interesting. Um, and I was like, why am I wanting, why am I gravitating towards this when I'm, you know, I spend so much time in and out of doctor's offices? And I think on some level, it's, it made me feel less alone. And I remember, you know, at this point, I, I knew I, I'd, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to be a writer my whole life. And I knew I wanted to be a TV writer by the time I was a teenager. So I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I can make one person feel the way that these stories make me feel right now when I need them most, it will be worth it. Hmm. Um. So I think, you know, the idea of making somebody else feel seen, making somebody else feel less alone, that very much ties into queerness and queer representation. So I I wouldn't say it was a conscious decision specifically or only because of my queer identity, but that's certainly tied into it. Mm. Um, And also, you know, as I've grown more comfortable as a writer, these are just the stories I have to tell. This is my perspective this is my experience of the world so yes my stories tend to feature queer characters quite prominently um i hope that answers your question (laughs) oh that absolutely answers my question yeah i mean it's it's what we know i mean it's what we know and also uh when when we become queer adults we join forces to push the queer agenda uh, on anyone we can to, you know, brain, you can call it brainwashing, but I think there's, you know, a, a gentler term for it. Uh, but protect your children if you are uh, listening. And that's a concern of yours. So Alex, anyone else uh, you you want to blame? Anything else? Is it just those two isolated? I mean, those are meaty isolated moments. <laughs> I mean, I hope people find them enjoyable. I think that they're extremely niche and corny, but um, there's a couple other things. I mean, first of all, I just, well, I love all the things that I feel like all little queer kids loved growing up. Like I, 
I love Greek mythology and studied oh, it for yes. years. I love the Nightmare Before Christmas. And, you know, the Venn <laughs> yeah. diagram of queer people and people who love the Nightmare Before Christmas is a circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Eowyn is my favorite character in Lord of the Rings. You know, like I, I fit all those stereotypes, but I do have one story for you, Trevor. Yes, bring um, it. That I, I, I feel like is very appropriate here. So Xena absolutely made me queer. <laughs> Get out of here, Lucy Lawless. Come on. I know. No one has ever uh <laughs> brought this up before um wait were you more xena or gabrielle xena okay i'm sorry i, I see I i've offended be, you and i apologize <laughs> I, I well i wanted to be the warrior right i wanted yeah. to be the one fighting um yeah uh <laughs> I wanted okay to. as you were so i loved xena growing up um from an from an early age i don't even remember quite how i was introduced to her but i, I just loved her anyway so as a small child, I believe I was about five years old, um, my parents took us on a trip to Universal Studios. I think they won a <sighs> contest. Oh, wow. And this was at the, at the time, um, you know, Xena, Hercules and Xena, those shows were very big. So much so there was actually a Hercules and Xena attraction at Universal Studios at Whoa. the time. Whoa, okay. And you could meet the characters. They actually had performers dress up as at least Xena. I don't remember if Hercules was there. Big surprise was paying attention to Xena. <laughs> um, but you could meet them. But again, this is the the 90s, right? So no cell phones, no internet. If you mm -hmm. wanted to meet a character, you had to, I don't even know how they did. I think you consulted a schedule in a pamphlet somewhere, you know? Right, was... and then some like community college theater major would be dressed in that costume there. Exactly. That's the kind of job I would have auditioned for, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think you still could. Thank you. Uh, what a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I guess I, I guess we missed her. We we couldn't find her. We looked all over the park. We couldn't find her. So I get, my parents went to guest services and said, you know, our daughter like loves this character. We really want to meet her. Can you help us out? Like let us know when she'll next be appearing or something. Anyway, God bless whatever community theater <laughs> major was working that desk yeah because they actually brought her out for a special one-on-one -on -one meet and greet oh my god because i was so desperate to meet her so i uh and you know she signed my little autograph book we had Ooh. our picture taken together and it was just it was very important now this is the part i don't remember but was told to me by my parents when I was an adult and I was okay. like oh yeah that that checks out and this is why we have to put Xena on on trial today for my queerness <laughs> great because I guess you know my brother also posed for pictures with her and he's a little older than I am but he was still a kid and mm -hmm. um I guess she turned to me and went is this your brother <laughs> I went yes pretty lady and she just looked at him and went is he bothering you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I guess my brother like looked at this gorgeous woman holding a sword and was like, oh my God. And I also looked at the gorgeous woman holding a sword and went, oh my God, but oh in a very God. different way. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the moment that I was queer. <laughs> yes, you were like, I see what you're saying here. And the answer is yes to everything. Let's go to ancient yes. Greece. 
Exactly. Oh my God. I love that. I love that so much. And that actress, whatever you become, wherever you are, if you're a listener of the show, please reach out to Alex. We'll provide you with the email. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. And Alex... 100%, by the yes. way, Trevor. You have my uh, blessing if the woman who played Xena at Universal Studios however many years ago remembers <laughs> the little girl that she had to come out for a special one-on-one -on -one meet and greet with yes. um, yeah please reach out i'll be the conduit it's like the xena uh gabrielle age gap a, a little bit wider probably at this point who knows with that actress but we're gonna make it work now alex i could keep talking to you about all of these things because i think you have many more stories as a purveyor of stories but before i let you go would you like to play a game i would love to play a game great this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer, Queerist! I'm going to give you three things. You need to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay, let's do it. Great. Thing number one. And, and I wrote this before we came up with this uh, bit of the conversation. Nested story arcs. So like a play within a play. Uh, an opera within a musical, etc. <laughs> I swear that was organic. Thing number two. Human beings who spend all of their time in the company of animals. For example, Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh. We've got an April O'Neil with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The only human in the, the animal space. Yes. Thing number three, baby versions of existing IPs like Muppet Babies. Or I was at Toronto Comic Con this past weekend and they have a whole line of Archie comics where the characters are babies. Okay. Baby IPs. So uh, quick recap, nested story arcs, human beings who spend all their time with animals and baby versions of existing IPs, least queer to most queer and why. Okay. Um, least queer, I would say the baby versions of the existing IPs. Okay. Um, because yeah, it just, uh, that could go either way. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure people are like, don't, you know, um, why would you make it queer if they're young children? But I will say, actually, um, Muppet Babies had amazing uh, queer representation recently. Oh, they did um, a I think it was Cinder an adaptation of Cinderella and mm -hmm. uh, like Gonzo wants to wear a dress. But they tell <sighs> they tell him that because he's a boy, he has to dress up as. He has to dress up like a prince. Oh, so he wow. goes to the ball um, dis disguised as Gonzarella. Oh, my God. This is the best. Uh, um, and then they um, they run, uh, you know, he runs out and they're all like, who was that mysterious princess? And then he tells them later. And maybe I shouldn't be saying maybe I actually don't know if they changed Gonzo's pronouns. And then Miss Piggy's in breeches. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. That's the sequel. That's my spec script. of That's Muppet right. Babies. That's what you should write. Um, so interestingly, you've, you know, it's queer from what you've just said, but also in our group, it's the least queer. I would say it's the least queer because okay. it doesn't necessarily lend itself. And, you know, I mean, Trying to get queer representation on children's television is still yeah. unfortunately quite the fight. So I, I'm giving a shout out to Muppet Babies specifically because I Love think it. they did it right. Well played. Um, but I would I think that there's a lot more room for queer representation in that in that space. Let's put it that way. Sounds good. Um, so everyone go watch Muppet Babies and do what they did. Yes. Um, good luck, Anzo. <laughs> 
the the middle ground one, I would say the nested story arcs. Okay. Because um, again, those those tend to be pretty queer, as we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, but it also can very much depend on both the story that you're nesting and the story that is being nested within. Because you know, Phantom of the Opera has some nested story arcs, and we've already discussed how lacking in <laughs> queerness. It's true. You're right. <laughs> phantom is whereas things like midsummer you know definitely lend themselves to it so it it's something that can unfortunately go either way i would like to believe it lends itself more to the queer side (laughs) yes i see you know (laughs) as we very much talked about with things like bear a pop opera but um can i also say when you said bear a pop opera the first time i thought was a goldilocks reference and it was spelled (laughs) b-e-a-r and then like a papa pra like papa bear it it's you know that's a visual joke but that's my fringe show that i'm developing (laughs) uh yeah and no one buys a ticket surprisingly it's it's quite niche so that means queerist (laughs) is uh humans and animals yeah humans who spend all their time in the company of animals i mean have you ever met a queer person uh, <laughs> that's true that's true all the you know cats. i i am surprised that my cat has not uh made a, a surprise guest <laughs> appearance on this podcast um every i don't know every queer person i know loves animals that's um, a good point and i you know i i'm sure that there is some psychological reason for that maybe because we don't feel accepted by our peers or something growing up we tend to gravitate towards these creatures that just love us as we are um mm. i don't know maybe maybe that's a bit too um no i see that and also i think if you have a boston terrier in your home you if you are not queer you're at the very least you've experimented in college a hundred percent hundred percent by curious dog ownership. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> just considering. Um, okay, so let's quickly recap here. So you said least queer is ne- nested story. No, baby IPs. Yes. The queerer were nested story arcs, depending on what's nested and how. And queerest, humans who spent all their time in the company of animals and and straight up for real, because Christopher Robin, I mean, that feathery side part. Hello, I've seen you. Oh, come on. Uh, Cruise and Tango on Church Street in Toronto. And uh, I mean, April- Trevor, let me put it this way. The yeah. Only, yeah. Pretty much the only other um, job career I ever considered for myself was being a veterinarian. Oh, it's so good. And you would have been a great one. I, in fact, when I was much younger, um, because I guess I was relentlessly practical at a young age, I thought that being a veterinarian would be my day job and that I would write at night. Perfect. Um, And then your free time is from midnight to 4 a.m. (laughs) <laughs> exactly and then you get up at 4 a.m to do animal surgery oh, that sounds no. <laughs> like a, a, a great lifestyle um 100 yeah no i also i feel like you were because you're always seeing the b character in ninja turtles april o'neill is the one who doesn't have superpowers and they're like get out of the way but i mean what a super she get she needs a spinoff and you need to write it a hundred percent who yeah. owns the rights to TMNT? Like, get at me. I will write the It's got to be April public domain spin. by now, right? I mean, <laughs> Just p- they do live in a sewer, so they've always been in the public domain. That was That's true. That's it. There you go. Uh- <laughs> She's got a legal brain, too. Now, Alex, before I let you go, and I really don't want to, anything you would like to plug? 
Uh, you know, I am working on a couple of things, but unfortunately, I'm not really allowed to talk about them yet. Um, oh, but, no. Um, uh, first and foremost, what I want to plug is Astrid and Lily Save the World. Um, if you, you know, I know we've referenced it a couple of times, but um, it's this, if I do say so myself, absolutely delightful show. Um, very Buffy-esque about two plus-size teenage girls who accidentally open a portal to a monster dimension and must now save the world while also surviving the horrors of high school. <laughs> um, it was an absolute dream to write on this show, and we want to just keep making seasons of it forever. So please watch it. It is on Sci-Fi, CTV Sci-Fi, and Crave. Um and yeah, please watch Astrid and Lily because I would love to write on this show for the rest of my life. Yes, people go do it. It is so good. It is boundary pushing. As Alex said, it's dimension pushing. Uh, so many things are being pushed out of the way. There is a play within a play. Uh, it's real great. So go watch it. Get them a second season. And then Alex can write in the <laughs> Phantom of the Opera storyline we talked about. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm sure we have it in the budget to license the rights to no Phantom of the Opera. Get that mask um, right. And with then the any correct mask. A hundred percent. And any socials or anything you want to push? You know, I well, I do also write for some uh, satire websites, like I write for the Beaverton and such. So the best way to keep track of whatever dumbassery I have <laughs> been putting out in that world is to follow me on social. I am at Mark Woman on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll I'll see you online, and please please watch Astrid and Lily. Yes, keep bringing that special brand of dumbassery into the world. Uh, it has made talking to you a joy. And I do want to tell you, I was very queer when this conversation started. And talking to you, Alex, has made me queerer than ever. I I'm going to contact my agent and ask her to put that on my resume. Because <laughs> that is the greatest accomplishment. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I feel queerer too, Trevor. You oh, know? no one's ever said it back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my honor. I got you. I got you. Okie doke, queerdos. That is our show. As always, you can contact me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. It's an email address, which I accept inquiry at. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It's helpful. Go now. Go real quick. Uh, and while you're doing that, you can listen to this portion of the show called Q Credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our engineer is Sean Van Beaten. Hi, Sean. Our theme song is by Critty. For more from music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at You Made Me Queer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday and from the bottom of my big bent heart. Thank you so much for listening. You could have chosen the white noise machine, but you leveled up. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. <laughs>